It's about the backpack program. And I'll read this from the bulletin. Backpack program is list is available and ready for signups. Access the signup list here, but you can't click here. Um, and there's a table back there. It's ready for that, and that'll be, and we'll be doing that soon. Also, um, the young families are having the ice cream social. I believe it's next Saturday. If you have any questions, see Michael Jenkins about that. And we have a, the elders met with a new member, Linda Donahue. I have not seen her today. If Linda, if you're here, can you raise your hand or stand? She's right there. Right there is Linda Donahue. So if you'd like to, if you could meet her and greet her, it's a new member. Also, we got some news this morning. Uh, Skip Jackson is having, is continues to have issues and it seems to be getting worse. Uh, so we're going to say a prayer for Skip uh, now and let's, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and your blessing us and your continuing to be with us. Father, we ask especially that you'll be with Skip Jackson and with Deborah and the doctors looking after him. Things seem to be very difficult right now this morning, Father, as we have heard. We ask that you'll continue to be with him and that if it be your will, he'll be here with us. And Father, in all things, we ask that your will be done. Amen. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, also, Jack has an announcement wherever Jack went. Oh, there you are. Jack has a quick announcement. Morning. Um, so, uh, a little over a year ago, we had our uh, ladies' personal protection self-defense class that security put together, and we're going to be doing that again on July 17th. Uh, we had a good turnout last time. Uh, we love if you didn't come last time. We love for you to come. Even if you did come last time, we'd like for you to come again. Um, it'll be July 17th at 1 p.m. down to the fellowship hall. And I understand that Bob Canolti will be there, so you will get to practice punching and kicking Bob. So if nothing else, that'll be a good reason to come. Thank you very much. Morning. Let's all stand and sing number 531. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. Praise Him, angels, in the
Before we go to God in prayer, song number 419. <clears throat> Lord, we come before thee now. things that we can rejoice in that the Lord has given us. Today, there's many fathers in the congregation to have your children tell you that they love you. Is that not something to rejoice in? to have your grandchildren, which I have eight of, is a thing that I rejoice in. I rejoice in the wife of my youth. We celebrated 45 years yesterday. We are all common in the things of this life. We need to rejoice in these things. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank you for giving us another day. Every one of us has got things that bother us. Struggles that may be unique to us.
we also have joys, Lord. We thank you that you have shown kindness to us. That you give us the strength to go on and the people that you've given us on this earth to help us go on. Father, we pray for the, the young people that are just raising their families. Most of the time they're exhausted. It can be such a handful. They need your strength, Lord, to do the good job, to do the right thing, and to raise their children with love and discipline. We, we have many families that have problems within that they don't quite know what to do. We ask you to provide the guidance for them. Help them to find the wisdom of your words. Give them the strength to do that which is the right thing to do. Lord, we have the older people of the congregation. We're all beset with different ailments. We ask for your strength to get us through each day, Lord. To help give us a positive outlook to keep going. To give us the physical strength that we need to do what we need to do. Lord, we have many among us that have different health ailments. They've had surgeries, they've had COVID, they've had all kinds of things that can be, be set to human condition. I would, Lord, that you would be mindful of them. Show kindness upon them and stretch forth your arm to lift them up and give them the strength to go on. Lord, I thank you that we as a church are reaching outside these walls and touching lives, showing people in the community that we have a caring for them and their needs. Strengthen the leadership in this congregation, Lord. Help them to do what you want them to do. We do ask, Lord, that you forgive us where we have all sinned. For we all want to be with you someday. These things we ask in Christ Jesus, and amen.
Our next song will be number 500. Number 500. <clears throat> oh, thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Seven forty two, seven forty two.
we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper. Hopefully you have gotten your communion item. If you haven't or need one, please feel free to go get one. They're on the tables outside each door um, prepared for you. As I came in the door, I was reminded, and, and hopefully you were too, of the excellent Wednesday night series we have going on uh, here at Buford. And if you haven't been able to participate Wednesday nights, this is our summer series, and we have a series of ministers that are bringing special lessons on the topic of Jesus and the names of Jesus. And the first two have been really excellent in the first two weeks. Those are available on our website if you want to go back and, and watch those because Sean and Jody both did really great jobs and we have a series. But the topics are, and again, in thinking about Jesus, these are so important. I mean, you can take hours around each one, but thinking about Jesus as the Son of Man, Jesus as the Prince of Peace, Jesus as the Cornerstone, Jesus Emmanuel, Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Alpha and Omega, Jesus the Master, Jesus the Lamb of God, Jesus the Firstborn, Jesus the Teacher, Jesus who was the Word, Jesus who is the High Priest, Jesus who is the King of Kings. In Matthew 1, in verse 21, Jesus is told, or um, Mary is told that Joseph is told, Mary, I'm not sure who we were talking to here, but in verse 21, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. His name was is associated with us being saved from our sins. If you go over to Philippians 2, in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, I'd like to read that before we observe. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, part of this to me, I feel, is that we are bowing before our Lord and Savior in observance of this communion supper that he asked us to do in remembrance of him. In a way, we're confessing the name of Jesus and what he means to us by observing this Lord's Supper. And that's part of, to me, the, the spirit behind what we do and the attitude we should be having. We are confessing our Lord and our Savior. And we can also be glorifying the ultimate Father, our Father, as we do these things in obedience and in the right heart and spirit. This morning, there's so many things to think about Jesus and what he means and how he serves as all these different things and the names that he had each represent significant story or lesson behind his purpose and his meaning to us. This morning, if there's any one of those things that you can focus on, focus on Jesus as we confess him and we glorify God through our communion. And let's pray for the bread. Our Father, we are here today, we're here in humble submission, Father, 
to remember your son Jesus, who sacrificed himself, who led such a wonderful life, who was exemplary in every way, but was willing to go to a cruel death on the cross for no reason, no fault of his own, but to give us a hope of salvation, to shed his blood, to deliver us from the sinful nature that we have. Father, we pray that you'll bless this bread that we're about to partake of, that Jesus told us represents his body that was hung on that cross. And we're so grateful for his willingness to do that. And we honor him and honor you at this time. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. pray. Father, we, we thank you at this time for giving for the blood and the symbolism and the reality of his shedding of that blood, that it, it's more than a symbol, but it's also the really a reference or a symbol of his actual suffering, of his blood flowing out on the ground, the life that left his body as he suffered for us, Father. We're thankful for we, this fruit of the vine that again represents the cleansing that we will have when we obey you, obey him. We thank you so much for this fruit of the vine and Jesus' suffering for us. We pray you bless us as we partake, and it's through him we pray. Amen. That concludes that part of our service. It's the Lord's Supper. We now have an opportunity to give. Uh, as we've been prospered, as we've been blessed, a portion of our means, we, uh, we have baskets outside. If you uh, need to make a contribution, you can drop your uh, contribution in the baskets outside. You can mail them to the church office, or we have a PayPal account for those who like to do it digitally. We've been blessed in so many ways. Uh, our fathers are getting to have a great day today and be blessed today. And uh, part of, uh, again, what goes with being a father is sacrifice. And part of what goes with being a Christian is sacrifice and giving back and showing our willingness to obey the Lord and be a part of his work. We pray that uh, we ask you to join me in prayer at this time. Father, we're so grateful for all the many blessings you give us. There's so many blessings and we're so thankful. We know that you bless us physically, you take care of our every need, that we can depend on you, Father. You may not bless us with riches, but you bless us with what we need, and you know what we need. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your loving oversight, your, your love for us, and your taking care of us. 
We pray that you bless us as we dedicate a portion of what we have to serve you, Father, in obedience. And we just uh, pray that that money and what we can give will be used profitably in your kingdom, Father. And pray that you bless us as we um, administer those funds and use them in your service. We thank you so much again for Jesus, his sacrifice, his blessing to us in every way. And it's through him we pray. Amen. You're using your hymnal, our song of encouragement following the lesson, will be number 380, number 380. And then if you'll stand, and before we hear from Brother Ben, we'll sing 553. Rise up, O Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Also be reading Colossians 3:21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers with us this morning in person and with us listening online. It is an amazing thing to be able to be called a father, and it's something that I'm, I'm learning each and every day. Uh, the past six months, today hit me differently than any birthday or any anniversary that I've had before. It, I got a card written by Jency <laughs> from Harper, and it talked about how much he loved me, and I just wept. I mean, I couldn't take it. I wasn't ready for that. The thought of, of him writing me something and talking to me was just something I 
hardly could take. And so I've had a great Father's Day already. I hope you have as well. And now more than ever, don't we need godly fathers? Now more than ever before, do we not need men who will put the Lord first? Men who will, above every other thing, put faith first for their family. Men that will instill that faithfulness into their children. This month on Sunday mornings, you'll see the screen behind us, we've been engaged in a series called Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader. And we've been tasked each and every Sunday at looking at a different role that God has placed on men and has challenged men to fill. We have been challenged as men to step up into these roles and to take on these responsibilities that only men can take on. Our first lesson, we, were, we, we saw how men have been tasked at shepherding the flock of God. The next lesson, we talked about how men have been tasked, they have been challenged, they have been called to serve the flock of God as deacons. By the way, before we even progress, I feel it necessary to mention the women. I know it's Father's Day. I know we've, talked, we've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about elders and deacons. And, and we're going to continue talking about men in this series. But let me tell you one thing. Without the women in these men's lives, there couldn't be elders. Without the women in these men's lives, there couldn't be deacons. Without the women in these men's life, there couldn't be fathers. Without the women in these men's life, there couldn't be husbands. And so today I want to make sure all of the women and, and the people here that are not men, are not fathers, are not elders, are not deacons, are not husbands, that you feel appreciated because let me tell you what, God made that decision for a reason. God made sure that men in leadership would have a nice, strong, encouraging woman right beside them. By the way, if you're a child in the room today, all the elders couldn't be elders without you. If you're a child in the room today, all of the deacons could not be deacons without you. If you're a father, Fathers couldn't be fathers without you. And so there's something for everyone in this series, but our definite goal is to talk about men. Following the leader, a study on the Bible's call for male spiritual leadership. Each week we have been tasked to think about what would happen if there were no men to fill these roles. We've been challenged to think about what, what would happen to the Buford Church of Christ if no men were willing to step up into these roles God has given us. What would happen to the kingdom uh, uh, abroad if men do not fill the roles that God has placed 
upon us. And this morning, obviously, we're going to continue this study by looking specifically at the fathers in the room. Fathers are the one that God has called to lead the home. And we're tasked with the same question today. What will our homes look like? What will our children grow up to be? What will happen if men do not rise up and be the fathers that God has called us to be? I know we are accustomed to building up mothers on Mother's Day, tearing fathers down on Father's Day. Kyle and I both have made that joke in years past on Father's Days at different times. And that's the last thing I want to do this morning. The last thing I want to do this morning is, is put an, a burden on fathers that, are, that is unable to bear. Trust me. If the past six months has taught me anything, it has taught me just how heavy, just how serious, just how important and how difficult the role of father can be. But above, above all of those things, it has taught me just how rewarding it can and should be. Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we look at that Scripture and we think about the implications of it, each of us can get a different thing from the Scriptures. Each of us can get a, a different message, a, a different call from the Scriptures this morning. Some fathers this morning just simply need to know more about what God expects from them. They just need more information of how to be a better father. Of what God expects and what God is calling them to be. And that's where the doctrine and instruction come in. Others in the room this morning need to be admonished. They need to be challenged. They need to be inspired to be better. And that's where the reproving and the correction comes in. And whatever you need this morning as you're listening, God knows. God's Word knows. God's Word is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into the hearts of men. Into the soul, into the joints and marrow. And so all I'm asking you this morning is, what, whatever you need as a father from our study this morning, whether you need information, you need instruction, you need doctrine, or whether you need reproving and you need challenging and you need admonished, all I'm asking you today is to open up your heart to what God is calling you to do. And through this study, I pray that all of us can leave complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work as the Bible promises. Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is where we're going to be for the duration of our study today. We're going to be looking at the examples of two fathers. Two fathers, two men who had the eyes of an entire nation on them. The entire nation of Israel was looking to them. 
because they were chosen to be priest, prophet, and judge on His behalf. God had chosen both of them to judge His nation, to, to speak on His behalf and prophesy, to be a spiritual guide for everyone in Israel. And all eyes were on them. Unfortunately, they forgot the eyes that mattered most. Because one of them was careless. And one of them was clueless. In the first couple of chapters in the book of 1 Samuel, we see the amazing story about Elkanah and Hannah. And Hannah, if you remember, if, if you've studied God's Word, and maybe you haven't heard of this story before, but there was a husband and a wife. The husband was Elkanah. The, the, the wife was Hannah. And Hannah was barren. She couldn't bear children for Elkanah. And she felt grieved in her spirit and in her soul that she could not have children. And so she prayed fervently to the Lord to have a child. And she made a promise to the Lord, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will lend him to you all the days of his life. All the days of his life will be given to you to serve, to minister, to, to prophesy, to do whatever you want him to do, Lord. Just please give me a child. The prophet, priest, and judge, Eli, heard her prayer, told her to go about her way that the Lord would answer. And sure enough, the Lord heard her prayer. The Lord gave her a son and she named him Samuel. And sure enough, as soon as she weaned him, she fulfilled her promise and gave him to Eli. Chapter 2 and verse 11 it says, Then Elkanah went to, the house at, to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And to this point in the narrative of 1 Samuel, there is no reason not to trust Eli. Eli is the man after God's service, right? He is prophet, he is priest, he is judge. Who better to give your child to? Right? Who better in, in the whole nation other than yourself, who better to give your child to than this pillar of faith, this man of God that has been tasked with leading everyone in the nation spiritually? At this point in the narrative, there's no reason not to trust Eli. But what Hannah did not know was when it came to being a father, Eli was careless. You know, sometimes there are people who seem to have it all together. They seem on the outside to look like they are doing an amazing job as a Christian, as a follower of God. On the outside, it looks like they have it all together, and it looks like that when it comes to their family. Their family looks the part as well. Their family comes to worship, they come to Bible class, they come to do all the different events at the church. But if you were to take a peek inside their home, you may see a different story. That's what we have with the prophet Eli here with the priest, with the judge, Eli, that is what's going on in his life. We really need to break down the next few pa the passage that we're about to look at. 
and see what's going on in Eli's life. Verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. This word corrupt, if you were to look at the real meaning of it, it's saying that these sons were worthless. They were worthless sons. Or good for nothing men. That's that's the real definition of that word corrupt. That's what the word is trying to put across. They are good for absolutely nothing. They they are not doing what Eli has has done, and they're not doing what they are called to do. They are worthless. What else does that same verse say about them? It says that they did not know the Lord. Why is that? How could it possibly be that Eli's children did not know the Lord? Eli was the prophet of God. Eli was the judge that God had called to judge Israel. How could it be that his children did not know God? Shouldn't they, more than anyone else in the entire nation, shouldn't they, out of everyone else, know who God was? If you just look at verse 14, we're going to see that these sons were the ones in charge with performing the sacrifices for the people. They were in charge of, of taking all the sacrifices of the nation and offering it before the Lord. And verse 14 tells us that instead of offering it to the Lord, what did they do? They took it to themselves. They never did offer it to the Lord. They, they just took the sacrifice for themselves. Verse 15 tells us that they refused to follow the command that Leviticus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5 calls upon when it says that you are to trim the fat off of all of the meat for a sacrifice. These sons refused to trim and cut the fat from the meat of the sacrifice. Verse 17, it even says that these sons made the people dread. These sons made the people dread and abhor and despise coming to sacrifice to the Lord. The people no longer wanted to come and make sacrifices to the Lord because they knew it when they came, not only would the sons not even offer it to the Lord, they would just take it for themselves. And not only that, they wouldn't even be doing it the right way because they wouldn't trim off the fat. And so the whole people of Israel are sick of making sacrifices to the Lord because these are the men responsible for offering those sacrifices. Then if you look at verses 18 through 21, you're going to see how Eli and Samuel continue to serve the Lord. All the while, Eli never corrects his sons. And as we know, without correction, things are only going to get worse. Verse 22 shows that they used this position that they had been given to extort the people. To the point that they were sleeping with the women at the door of the tabernacle. All of the women that came to make sacrifices were were having to sleep with these sons of Eli. Can you imagine a a more corrupt, a, a more disgusting display than men using this role in this way? Verses 23 and 24, we're going to see Eli trying to talk to them and and, and challenge them not to do this anymore, but they're far past the point of listening. And then in verse 25, God desired to kill them. God wanted them to be judged. He wanted justice to rain down on their wickedness. And you know what's ironic about that? 
the very one who was challenged and, and, and appointed and charged and called upon to render that justice was their father. He was the judge of Israel. But instead of rendering that justice and correcting his children, he doesn't take away their place in the sacrifice of the tabernacle. He doesn't do anything. So in verse 29, the Lord takes matters into his own hands because he says when it came to Eli that he honored his sons more than, they, more than he honored God. He honored his sons more than he honored God. And because he honored his sons more than that, more than he honored God, because he refused to execute judgment on God's behalf, God promises to do it himself. Chapter 3 and verse 13 is going to tell us why that is the case. God says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. So God promises that the end of Eli's family was coming soon. And sure enough, in chapter 4 and verse 18, everything happens just as God said. His sons go out to battle and they die in battle. Not only that, in battle against the Philistines, the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. And when the people come back to Eli and tell him, your sons have perished and the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen and we no longer have it anymore. Eli, at the age of 98, falls out of his chair, breaks his neck, and dies. That's the tragic end to the judge, the prophet, the man of God, Eli, and his sons. If you were to fast forward to chapter 8 of the book of 1 Samuel, go ahead and turn there. We're going to see our next father, Samuel. By the time of this passage in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, Samuel is already old. He's already been judging Israel for a long time. If you were to look back at chapter 7, verses 15 through 16, it says about Samuel that he judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And so at the beginning of chapter 8, he is old, and so he makes his sons, Joel and Abijah, he makes them judges over Israel. He makes them in charge of the sacrifice the same way Eli did with his sons. Samuel was a great man of God. He had a servant heart for the Lord all the days of his life, just as his mother promised. He served the Lord every day of his life. But just like his mentor and predecessor, Eli, he had one failure. And that was how he fathered his children. Verse 3 tells us his sons did not walk in his ways. And they turned aside to dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. You see, just like Eli's sons before, here are Samuel's sons doing the exact same things. You would think that Samuel, who grew up watching this example of fatherhood from Eli, you would think that Samuel would have instilled a greater faith in his children. You would have think that he would have instilled a, a greater righteousness, a greater sense of duty and responsibility to his kids. But evidently he did not. 
Instead, when, when, when they transgressed and when they committed iniquity and perverted justice and did all these terrible things to the nation of Israel, Samuel was basically clueless. He did not know his sons were doing this. He did not know that what they, were, they were capable of such evil. And so the people come to him in verses 4 through 6. They are so fed up with Samuel's sons. What do they do? They beg for a new king. They beg for a king so that they can be like all the other nations in the world. All the other nations have kings, Lord. And, and, and Samuel, we want to have a king. Samuel's sons were so bad and evil that the people cried out for an entirely different form of government. They no longer wanted to have judges. They no longer wanted to be led by these men, they wanted to have one man that was king and a monarch over all the people. And so God heeds the people's desire here. And this is how we get to King Saul and King David and King Solomon in the text throughout the Old Testament continues. He heeds the people's desire and the, and the age of the judges comes to an end. But so also ends the age of the all-powerful God as king. So begins the age of flawed men as king. Men who would go on to split the kingdom in half and men that would lead the people of Israel right into the heights of wickedness and destruction. Men that would lead the nation of Israel right into the arms of captivity. But how did it all start? It all started because Samuel's sons did not walk in his ways. The question we have this morning before us is what happens when the home has no leader to follow? What happens when the home has no leader to follow? You see, Eli and Samuel both had the eyes of an entire nation on them. But the eyes that mattered most were never accounted for. Their children. And I, I know that 3,000 years later, it's hard for us to look back at Eli and Samuel and their, their position as fathers. It's hard for all of us this morning to look back at them and point the finger point that they, you did this wrong and you did this wrong and you didn't raise your father right you raise your children right here and you didn't do right here it's hard for us to do that 3000 years later but i think it is fair to say that something did go wrong something definitely did go wrong with the way that Eli and Samuel raised their children i think it's fair to say for us today that for whatever reason it was when it came to being fathers both Eli and Samuel failed. Eli knew that his sons were evil. Eli knew what they were doing. He knew the wickedness that they were taking part in. And he didn't do anything about it. He was careless. Samuel didn't know the wickedness that his sons were doing. And when he was brought the news 
we see that he's clueless about it. Which legacy would you rather have? A careless father or a clueless father? You see, because when you think about yourself as a father this morning, you are leaving a legacy. Whether you realize it or not, you are leaving a legacy to your children. A legacy that only they are able to say what it is because they're the ones that are your children. The truth is, the way we father our children is going to determine so much about the future. The way that we father our children dictates the faith that they are going to have. But not only that, guess what? The way that we father our children is more than likely going to be the way that they father theirs. And if we leave a legacy of, of, of not doing what God calls us to do as men and as fathers, guess what they're going to leave a legacy of? Not doing what God calls men to do as fathers. What legacy are you leaving behind as a father this morning? You see, because when you look at Eli and Samuel, it's easy for us to see that history repeats itself. Just look at the example of Eli and Samuel. Eli was basically responsible for raising Samuel. He took Samuel when Samuel was an infant and raised him. Samuel grew up watching that example. His eyes were on Eli, not only when he was prophesying and judging, but when he was a father. Evidently, he took that example and replicated it. Fathers, this morning, what legacy are you leaving behind? Are you leaving behind a legacy that when you are in front of church people, when you are at the congregation, when you are worshiping, when you are at the Beaufort Church of Christ, you are one thing, and when you go home, you are an entirely other thing? Are you leaving a legacy that says it's okay to have bad language? It's okay to, to watch things that are unacceptable and to say that it's fine? Are you leaving a legacy behind of, of poor attendance? Showing to your children that worship and, and, and coming together among the people of God and being a part of the body of Christ isn't important. Are you leaving a legacy of, of how to treat, how not to treat your wife? Are you leaving a legacy behind of, of how to not be a good husband? How to not be a good father. Are you leaving a legacy behind full of misguided priorities? You know, we can come up with all the excuses in the world on Eli and Samuel's behalf, can't we? The same way we come up for excuses for ourselves, right? We can look at Eli and Samuel and we can say, at the end of the day, I mean, think about all that they had to do. Think about all that they had to do. They were the prophet. They were the priest. They were the judge of God. They had an entire nation looking upon them. It's no wonder that some fell through the cracks. We can look at Eli and Samuel and make up the excuse that when it comes to, to their fathering, think about the pressure that they faced at work. We can look at Eli and Samuel and we can say they were old by the time children did all this. They were old. It wasn't their fault anymore. Well, evidently God thought it was. 
God said that Eli refused to restrain his children. Evidently, God thought that Eli and Samuel were responsible. At the end of the day, we've got to take the excuses out. At the end of the day, this morning, as fathers, we cannot have excuses anymore. Because at the end of the day, Eli and Samuel, regardless of who's responsible, what was done, or what was said, or what was not done, or what was not said, regardless of all of that, they were lost. Regardless of all what Eli and Samuel may may have done or may have not done, at the end of the day, both of their children's were lost. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36? For what will the profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Maybe for us this morning we need to think about it this way. What will it profit a father if he gains the whole world loses his own children. What will it profit a father if if he comes out of his life, have climbed the entire ladder at work to the top of the company, and he makes all the money in all the world your family could ever desire? What good is it for you if you get all of that and in the process you lose your children? What good is it for a father to help their children succeed in every extracurricular activity they could possibly be involved in, band and sports and all the other things that we do? What good is it if a father helps their children succeed in all of those activities while never pushing them to excel in their knowledge and love for the Lord? Eli and Samuel, on all accounts, the truth is, when it came to them being a judge, when it came to them being a prophet, when it came to them being a priest, there's really nothing bad that you could say about either of them. Both of them did what God told them to do in those facets of their life. There's not an ill word said about either of them when it came to those parts of their life. But when it came to being a father... They couldn't have dropped the ball more. You know, it doesn't matter how much righteousness you have in and of yourself as fathers this morning. If that righteousness is not being passed on to your children, you're missing the point. If that righteousness and that faith and that love and that service and that all that you do for the Lord is not being passed on to your children, you've missed the entire reason of the job you've been given. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 is incredibly clear on this matter. When it comes to sin, sin does not transfer from father to child. That's why we don't have original sin. That's why we don't have to pay for the, for, for the sin of our fathers before us. We get to be our own soul. We get to make our own decisions. We get to fail and do right on our own. We don't have to what our Father did. Guess what the same verse says? It's very clear that the righteousness of the Father does not transfer onto the child. 
every soul, every individual person is responsible for the way that they act and the way that they live by themselves. That righteousness has to be instilled. So what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do as a father this morning? The only true help I can offer is Scripture. Because I'm still figuring this one out myself. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know the thing about Proverbs? It's proverbially true, right? It's, it's proverbially true. It is not an absolute truth that in every single circumstance, if you train up a child in the way he should go, he will absolutely not fall away from it. It's, it's a proverb for a reason. But that shouldn't take away its truth. It is true. Our scripture reading for the morning was Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Both of them have similar, similar thoughts. Both of them, Paul would say, and, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3 and verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, this morning... The question you have to ask yourself is, are you doing all that you can do? Are you doing all that you can do as a father? Are you rising up to the call that God has given you to train up your children, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Because the only way our children are going to survive this perverted and twisted world is if we fathers teach, train, and talk to our children about God. If we do not do all that we can, our children have no hope. They will depart from the truth just like Samuel's sons did. Fathers, today you are desperately needed to step up say that to myself more than anyone in the room. This morning, you are needed by everyone in your life to step up. Fathers, your children need you. Your children need you to set a pattern for them to follow. An example for them to aspire to. Your children need you to help them understand right from wrong. To help them understand how important worship is and how important serving the Lord is and how important studying God's Word is. Your children need you. Fathers, this morning, your wife needs you. Your wife needs you to step up and be the father that God calls you to be. So many times being the spiritual leader in the family, for some reason falls on the, on the mother. On the wife. And it is great, and mothers do an amazing job. My mother did an amazing job of being a spiritual role model for me. But at the end of the day, God challenged fathers to be the one. To instill righteousness and faith in their children. It says, fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, are you doing that? Are you training your children? Are you nourishing them with the word of the Lord? 
Your wife needs you to. Family needs you. Your family as a whole needs you to do what God has given only you the ultimate responsibility for doing. Leading your home. Lastly, God needs you. God needs you, fathers, this morning. God blessed you with a family. Not everyone has that. God blessed you with a family to raise and to lead and to nurture and to teach and to love and to show that love that God has shown you to them. God needs you to be the father He's called you to be this morning. This morning we take time to look at fathers, not not because we want you to feel this burden that you cannot carry. We take the time to look at fathers because if we don't, who will our families be following? Today we looked at a careless father and a clueless father. If that's you this morning, what better way to lead your family than to come forward and admit your fault? What better way to lead your family than to come and admit that you need prayer, that you need guidance, that admitting that you need to be better? Whatever kind of father you are, a caring one is waiting for you. Let's follow the leader as together we stand and sing for your encouragement. Just as I am
in for that lesson. Uh, and let me add, Happy Father's Day to everyone, especially my dad who's streaming from home in California. Uh, if you have not filled out your attendance, uh, go ahead and open up your phone app or your camera app and, and go ahead and do that now. It's been a pleasure to have you. We meet again this evening at 6 o'clock. Um, it's also it's been a pleasure for my family and I to serve you here for these last 12 years. Such a, such a blessing to follow your guidance, your wisdom, and your grace and your love. Let's close before our final prayer. Sing song number 44, one verse.